Hello and welcome to tonight's service. It's uh, rather interesting that I had something else planned to preach, but the Lord said to me, I want you to preach this, and I went, okay, I, I, it, because it's a, it's a very hard thing, to, what I'm about to preach on for a layman, because uh, you're going to see why, how this all sort of come about, but um, if you could take your Bibles, and we're going to look at 2 Timothy 2.15, but how it sort of links in to what the main message is, and that being the seven dispensations, and um, not that you could probably see this at home, but um, this book here by uh, Brother John Ecob has written an excellent uh, little booklet on what I'm preaching. So I know that what God's sort of, God's a little bit, not funny with me, but you can see how he works. Um, and in saying that, if we look at the, the hymns that were sung tonight, um, they are also... It sort of it gives me more confidence in knowing that this is exactly what God wants, and and so guide me through, O Great Jehovah. The Bible stands, you know. Um, I saw Jesus knew. All these things are, are just more and more uh, evidence of what God has planned for 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 me to preach tonight. In saying that, we're looking at something that, um, if we look at what's happening around us today, that the dispensations and, and what God has put in his word are very, very, very important. I'm not saying they weren't important when they were, they were written, but for today, in 2024, we see so much heresy and so much rank false teaching and false shepherds and all these derived from the misapplication of, of rightly dividing the word. And in 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy had incredible advantages. He was taught the word of God by his mother and grandmother. It states that in 2 Timothy 1.15, and he was discipled by Paul and served with Paul in ministry for years. Now, Timothy knew the word of God and was well equipped. Even still, Paul tells Timothy that he needs to be diligent in the study of the word of God and rightly dividing the word of truth. Without that continuing diligence in the word, Timothy would not have been able to stand firm and he would not have been able to maintain good sound teaching. Now Paul warned Timothy to pay attention to himself and to, the, and to his teaching. And that's found in 1 Timothy 4.16. Because all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction and training in righteousness. And it's exactly what we need today in order to be equipped for every good work that God intends for us to do. So Paul encourages Timothy to be diligent to present himself as a workman approved by God who would not be ashamed because he was rightly dividing the word. First Paul's instruction makes it clear in the study of the Bible it is work. Right? It takes effort. You don't do it to be saved. You do it because you're already saved. So we need to be committed to doing that work if we desire to be equipped for what God intends to do with us in, in our life. And second, Paul helps us to focus on the idea that this work in the Word is not about the approval of other people. Rather, it is God who is assessing how we handle His Word. And so we are studying His Word for Him. And also we understand that if we are diligent 
if we continue to keep doing it, we will not be ashamed because we have been faithful with the remarkable stewardship of his word. Sometimes we take for granted the completed word, the Bible. We may be unaware how many people have suffered and died to provide us the freedom and opportunity to own our own Bibles and read them in our own language. How sad it would be if we look at this, if we took it, one of the greatest freedoms we have and we're not diligently studying it and making the most of it. But we see in Paul's final comment in 2 Timothy 2.15 is helpful because it tells us the success, like in the study of the word, is to rightly divide the word of truth. The Greek word rightly dividing is ortho to mount or ortho means right or proper, and to mount means to cut. It's literally success in handling the word of God is to cut it and use it properly. Now, Brother Dunn's going to like this. Is a, this is a farming imagery, and as a farmer who is plowing a field, would seek to cut straight furrows in a row. So when plowing, a farmer would look at the point at the end of the, the field and go dead straight. And this is what a good student of the word does, that we are also making, we are all, so we also remain focused on the outcome in handling the, the word of God. Now, what's really interesting, I actually talked to a farmer probably eight, nine years ago. Now, this is eight or nine years ago. This, this is technology from eight or nine years ago. Now, they have GPS for farmers in tractors. Now, they reckon it's so accurate and so good that from the GPS point of the field it ploughed the year before, it can sow a seed within three mil of where it was sown last year. So it shows you that how close and how, by using that seed analogy, we can see that we are to keep close to the, what we've done the year before. But we don't compromise. We don't make anything, um, what would you say? We don't, we handle the word of God the way it should be handled. So ultimately, in studying the word, we're trying to understand what the author has said and not allow our own opinions or views of someone else to cloud the meaning of what was written. When we are diligent to cut straight, to rightly divide the word of the truth, we can understand what he, that is Jesus Christ, God, has communicated in his word. And be well equipped for what he would have us to do and how he would have us to think. So why did I give you this introduction before I introduce the main different parts of dispensations, well, it is to clearly demonstrate to you that when you handle the word of God, that your opinion or anyone else's opinion doesn't matter. It's the Bible is the foundation of our faith and practice, and it's not used to back up a thought or belief that is contrary, contrary to the intended meaning and its intended audience. Now, Satan and men have used the scriptures to their advantage while clearly standing in error. And that's why we have cults and that's why we have things that appease the flesh today. It's because they haven't handled the, world, the word of God in the right way. So let's pray and give God, uh, give God not only the glory, but the idea and understanding of what we're about to, to delve into. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you once again that we can be in this place unhindered, unharmed, that we, Lord, can hear your word, we can hear it being preached, I ask, Father, that, that the main focus be on Jesus Christ, the author, the Holy Spirit, the author and finisher, or as well, of this book. Lord, we just pray for guidance and understanding, and that uh, ultimately you get the glory for it. And we give thanks and glory and honour to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Study to show thyself approved. You just don't read the book. It's something that you should be doing every day. And it's hearing what God has to say to us. Now, sometimes it can be rather daunting when we read Scripture, and we've all done it, that we've read something in Scripture and go, how come I didn't pick that up before? Why is it only now that I'm starting to see what God has prepared for me? Why is it now that God wants me to learn something from this? Well, it's quite interesting. If you look at the way God has structured the Word, the way He has produced it, it's very interesting the fact that we have something that is continual, that's something that can be referenced, it's something that we can use, and there's a very important part too, is that the Lord has put these words here for our, for our admonition, but more so that when someone asks us of the hope that's within us, that we can also use scripture to back up what we believe. Now, there are a lot of beliefs, there are a lot of guides, there are a lot more, uh, what would you say, contentions now, because we've seen in the last probably 15, 20 years, there's been this slow, gradual push to bring in not only heresies, but things that just got that Jesus Christ would not tolerate. Um, we see when Jesus turned over the tables in a synagogue, when he said, this is, this is a place of worship, it's not a den where you make money, it's not a den where business is conducted. So he was quite explicit in how places, people, tribes, tongues, languages were to be used in, from the Bible, from his words. So rightly dividing is separating scripture by using dispensationalism. Now, this is where I have a problem with it. I, I don't have a problem with it. Other people have a problem with it. But it's about context, time and place and people. So the word of God through the Holy Spirit used men to author the Bible. And he used a variety of people, especially in the New Testament. Now, what's interesting when you go back and you look at the New Testament is that he used men that were mainly all Jews. Now, apart from Luke, who's an evangelist, the background of Luke is unknown, although he's usually equated with Luke, the Greek physician in Antioch. And that may indicate he was not Jewish, but Gentile. However, there were many Greek-speaking Jews in the cities like Antioch, and also the position of a physician could well be by the person of a Jewish origin. Now, and on the other hand, Mark was also used in uh, the scriptures as well. But this sermon's let's flip this a little bit. This sermon's on dispensationalism from the Bible. Now, so in order to understand the Bible, you must first understand how or what, how it's been written, who it was written to, the time period, the doctrine it's referring to, and the prophecy that it details. Um, so this is just an, basically a, an introduction to those... those um, dispensations so why is it important that we have this foundational standpoint well when the wrong dispensation is applied to the wrong group of people then it becomes heresy of the highest order cults and false churches false teachers false preachers deceive so many as to those who think are on the right path and walking with God but are literally walking into the gates of hell now it's not something that we joke about it is something that's very, very, very serious. 
we see things like baptism, something simply like baptism. Infant baptism is not what is found in this book. Now, so in order to understand, so that's just one thing. The, the, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, that has also been twisted and taken and perverted as well. And it's sad that people actually believe it because they don't study the Word of God. So in order to comprehend and understand what dispensationalism is, it's basically a way of ordering things, an administration, a system or management in theology. A dispensation is divine administration period of time and each dispensation is divinely appointed. Dispensational is a theological system that recognises these ages ordained by God to order the affairs of this world. So it has two primary distinctives. A consistent literal interpretation of scripture, especially Bible prophecy. So remember, Jesus Christ has three titles, prophet, priest, and king. Okay. A view of uniqueness of Israel as separate from the church in God's program. Now, a classical dispensation identifies seven dispensations. And so as a dispensation, each time that's recorded is literally a literal interpretation. So it gives each word meaning and it would commonly have in everyday uses. Now you're going to see, I'm going to, in one of the dispensations here that I've got, I will emphasize and clearly state what God has said. Yet people, some people, and I don't know how, if it's clearly said by God, how you could dispute it. Okay, and you, you'll see this in a, in a second. So for example, when the Bible speaks of a thousand years, in Revelation 20, dispensation is turbid as a literal thousand years, which we're going to look at. So since there's no compelling reason to interpret otherwise than the thousand years have already occurred, which some people think it's already happened, but it can't have happened. And as I said, we'll get to that. So there are at least two reasons why literalism is the best way to interpret. Now, I know I haven't got to the dispensations yet. We will get to them, but you're going to see why it's so important that we study to show ourselves approved, that we look at the scriptures and we handle it the way it should be handled. So there's two reasons for literalism. So firstly, from a philosophical standpoint, the purpose of language itself requires that we interpret the words literally. Language was given by God for the purpose of being able to communicate. So these words are, are used for a specific meaning in a specific time in a specific way and i actually forgot to bring the book in i think sometimes from a, a western standpoint we don't understand the 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 bible from a jewish perspective because you've got to remember it was written at that time at that place at, at certain places so we don't understand them as westerners but we can understand it from a biblical point of view and a Jewish point of view. All right? And it can be very, very difficult at times to see that, that so for, the, for example, marriage, that there was a son would approach the father, he would, there'd be a price to be paid. He would then, uh, once they, all parties agreed to that, he would then go away and prepare a place for his, his wife. <coughs> so you see that from that, we can see from the pages of Scripture why the rapture is important. So if you start denying the rapture, you're denying what God has put in place in showing as an example of 
that point in marriage, the marriage supper of the lamb, I could go on and on, but I'm not, I just, you can see there's a pattern that emerges and it comes from that, that customs that they have in, in Jewish law. Um, so, dispensational theology teaches there are two distinct peoples, Israel and the church. Okay? So salvation's always been by grace through faith. And dispensationalists told that the church has not replaced Israel in God's program. The Old Testament promises to have Israel not be transferred to the church. Okay, and I think that's one big one that we need to look at as far as dispensationalism is concerned because some people believe that the Israel has been replaced by the church, but when you talk about the time of Jacob's trouble, which we'll get to in a second, you're going to see why it doesn't make sense. There's, you, you can't literally replace something with something else and then say that it's, that's what that's for. But anyway, we shall move on. Now, the, just as God in this age is focusing on his attention on the church, at the moment we're starting to see a small shift away from the church because God said, look, in the last days, these things are going to happen with the church. They're going to be lukewarm. They're going to be very worldly. And so this all comes about through as well. If we go back to the 1880s, what happened in the 1880s was the NIV came out. Now, just so you understand, the Bible, the King James Bible, cannot be... Um, used for profit, so to speak. I mean, there's costs associated with producing a Bible, but the NIV and all these other translations have a copyright attached to it. Whereas this book doesn't. It doesn't have a copyright attached to it in the sense that it can be made for profit because when you start changing the word of God, God's very explicit. He said you, there will be plagues that are described in this Bible that you're going to face. Right? You don't take away or add to the words, the, the the words of the Lord, because there's a specific reason. We're going to get more into it as we go along. So, let's see. Innocence is number one. This is our first dispensation, and it's found in Genesis three eleven to thirteen. So, if you could take your Bibles, and we'll go to Genesis three eleven to thirteen. And as I said, the reason why it's so detailed of the things that are in this book around the dispensations. I'll be brutally honest, I'm way out of my depth, but I'm allowing God for him to be the one that works through me to show you these things. Because as I said, I didn't want to preach this, but God said preach it, so I am. Innocence. So between the creation and the fall of men in the Garden of Eden, God interacted freely and personally with Adam and Eve, during this period. Then they broke the only rule that he'd given them. So let's see in Genesis 3, 11 to 13. And it reads, And he said, So remember God said, Don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so he knew straight away. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Remember they were naked and they were ashamed. Hast thou eaten the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said the woman... So this is typical buck passing. We do it, and it's happened before. And the man said, 
So he's trying to turn around and blame God for this. The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And again, we're going to see here, Eve does the same thing. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is thou? What is this that thou hast done? So he knew that she was the first one to do it. And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Don't we, when we get caught out, try and look for an excuse or a way out and say, well, if they had done their job properly, uh, it's not my fault. But you also have a responsibility as well. So we see that right from the get-go, when sin entered the world, that this has happened, and it continues to happen today. It's worse and worse today because people will deny flatly deny that it's they're the ones with the problem and it's really interesting when I, I did a little bit more of a study on these things is that the one thing if you look at salvation and we've been looking at, at this this morning and the one thing that sends most people to hell is self-righteousness the problem is when you compare yourself you're comparing yourself with other sinners so therefore if you compare yourself with Jesus Christ, that's a different level. You can't, it's, it's just so, it's just so big. The gap is so big. But self-righteousness is, is the worst one. And I think sometimes some Christians have a pro, not problem, but we've got to understand that we too are also sinners. And that um, there is a way in which to, to witness to people and to, to talk to people, but... We've got to understand that we're not we're not perfect and we have to get that across as well that we're not perfect either because i think a lot of the unsaved see christians as self-righteous but there's a means and a ways to 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 reach people and that it is through the preaching of the gospel you don't I mean, you don't divert yourself but you point them to jesus christ because he's the he's the he's the measure he's the yardstick he's the measuring standard that we have and no one and it says here no one's righteous no not one so that's the first one is innocence. The next uh, dispensation is we're looking at conscience. And it was between the fall and the flood. I won't spend too much time on this, but God allowed man's conscience to govern his behavior without divine interference. Now, because of the sin nature passed down from mankind's first parents, that being Adam and Eve, the result is that the wickedness of man, if you look, we'll go to Genesis 6 while we're here. We'll do it and we'll read it. And the, the condition and position of what was occurring was really horrid and I think we're starting we're only starting to see the glimpses of this today and it says in Genesis 6 5 and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually this imagination is thinking and thoughts and trying to so the stupidity of it is, and I've got to be careful because we've got young people in, in here listening and maybe online, is that, um, that there can be equinous and equinous, uh, so equality and fairness, uh, in a, um, let's say on a sporting field between one person who thinks that they're female and actual females and like, it, it's, it's, it's clear to see that it's not. But people applaud it and promote it. And you think, how can you, how can we, how can it be so? How can it be true? 
and the Bible clearly states that there's the diff- there's differences between men and women. Anyway, I, I, as I said, I could go on, but I won't. So God pronounced judgment upon the world and destroyed all but eight members of the human race in a great flood. And you can look at the great flood, which leads into our next dispensation, but you can look at the great flood and you can see evidence of it everywhere, worldwide. Okay? you just got to look at the Grand Canyon and you can look at some of the sandstone structures on the Central Coast. It is the same. Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of rock and sediment and dirt, which actually turned to stone. Okay, so our next one, number three, human government. From the flood to Abraham. Now, after the flood, God told Noah to go forth and replenish the earth. Let's go there, Genesis 9, 7. So if I'm, gonna, if I'm saying we've got to use the word, we've got to use it properly. Genesis 9, 7. And it says, And be ye fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. So Noah's descendants actually disobeyed God's commandment, setting about instead to do what? Build a great city and a tower from which to study the stars. Interesting. Genesis 11, 4. Let's go over to Genesis 11, 4. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach under heaven, and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. So they knew what they were supposed to do, but they said, no, let's stay in one place. And there's a great study if you want to know about anything as to what is occurring on this earth today. It stems back to that, the Tower of Babel. And God confused, so he came down and confused God's, God, uh, man's language, causing them to stop building the tower and scattered them throughout the world. That's why we have languages. Genesis 11, 8 and 9 states, So the Lord scattered them abroad from hence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and did hence, then from thence, did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth? You do a deep dive on Babylon, you're going to see that there is a certain church which stems from all its teachings from Babylonians. Number four, here we go. Promise from Abraham to Moses. This is our fourth called promise. God promised Abraham a homeland for his descendants. Now, this is I'm sure this is going to upset some, some people if we see this whole Palestinian, whole Israel thing going on right now. You're going to see where this all stems from, okay? And a son for him and Sarah. So we see in Genesis, let's go to Genesis 17, 8, while we go through this. And this is why I don't understand why we... And, I can see why people would get upset if you're only seeing a slanted view of what the media or what certain people push out about um, people being uh, murdered. It's not right. I'm, I get that. But you've also got to understand it from the other side of view, from, from Israel's point of view, of what's happening and what has happened to them and how they've sort of... You don't hear their side of the story much. Um, and this all stems back to this, and this is why it's really important that we understand this one, is that Israel's portrayed as murderers, as they're the aggressors, as they're the ones that have, have instigated all this. 
But if you go back and look at the events of what happened in October 7th last year, you see that it wasn't Israel. I think Israel are really hard to try and live with the Palestinians, but it's not a, it's not a good it's not a good situation. And I'll I will go on this go on to this a little bit. So Genesis we've looked at. Um, let's say Genesis 17:8. It reads. Uh, and I will give unto thee and thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger or the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Okay? I will be their God. We're seeing things happening today that stems back to this. And if we look at Genesis 17, 15, 16, it says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be shall her name be. And I will bless her and give her, thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Okay. But they grew tired of waiting, Sarah and Abraham, and produced a son of their own, who they named Ishmael. Here's where the problem lies. When you go off and do something of your own accord, thinking you're doing God's will, or that you're not being patient, and you've got to understand, this is, a, this is not something that just impacts Abraham or Sarah or Israel. It's impacting the whole world. Okay? It's like the world's telling you, pick a side. But what I find strange is is that with the Palestinians, they want to bring death to the Western culture, Western world, and I as I said, I, I think if you don't understand the Bible you can't you, you might un, mightn't understand why that's so such a bad thing. But God's very specific. And I mentioned earlier before that God is talking about Israel and his people. And that's why we pray for Israel and the people of Israel. So when God promised son, Isaac was born, Ishmael was sent away. And you can see why the Edomites, Muslims, get upset about all this. But let's go to Genesis 21, 8 to 13. Remember, rightly dividing the word. I'm not saying anything that's out of out of sorts here. Genesis 21, 8 to 13, and it reads, And the child grew, and as was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Take that in. Okay. Take it in. And God said unto Abraham, oh, and the thing that was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. So he still loved Ishmael. And the thing was very. Uh, and God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. 
in all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, I don't mean to be condescending. I don't. It's just I want to get across a point of how important Israel is and where they stem from. Okay. And also of the sons. So God didn't forget okay, Ishmael. And also of the son of the bondman, I will make a nation because, of, because he is the, thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed. Can you see why they... I can understand why they'd be upset. I don't mean to laugh. It's not... I don't laugh. It's just you can see... How, how can, I don't understand how people can get it wrong because it clearly shows exactly where all this trouble stems from and goes back to. Okay? So we'll move on. Next, I'll, I will finish this. So, um, now, so it's caused enmity when Ishmael was sent away. It's causing enmity between the Jews, the descendants of Isaac, and the Arabs, the descendants of Ishmael, and that continues to this day. After Muhammad, a descendant of Ishmael, has founded Islam, this entity took on a religious significance and became even more intense. And now we're starting to see the fruits of that. Five, law from Moses to Jesus. God gave Moses ten commandments and promised the Jews a life of peace and plenty in a kingdom of their own if they obeyed. So let's go to Exodus 19. Five. Exodus 19.5. Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. I don't like using the word anti-Semitic, but the, the, the hate and the displeasure of Israel and the Jews, God himself has stated that. So if God stated that, there must be an enemy that's poking the bear and lighting the fires of dissent against God. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and promised the Jews of life of peace and prosperity. And after repeated periods of, of disobedience, which included rejecting their Messiah King, Jesus Christ, God withdrew and scattered them out of the land. And that comes from Matthew 21:43. but I'm very cognizant of time here. Next one, the church age, grace, number six. From Pentecost to the rapture of the church age. So no longer requiring righteousness through works, God granted a righteous by grace through faith. Remember? So I've, I've really got a question about works. It's, it's something that's, that there seems to be um, I'll have to look at it later around Israel but God granted righteousness by grace through faith in the completed work of Christ to all who accept whether Jew or Gentile let's go to Romans 3.21 Romans 3 now by the way you've got to understand this is not I'm only backing up what God has said and what God has, has, has said he will do and continue to do remember I said there's two dis Clear, distinct peoples. There's the the Jews, and the oh, sorry. There's Israel and, and the church. 
Romans 3, 21. After Acts there. 21 24. God's righteousness by faith. But now the righteousness of God within the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other way. Most will not accept this and will be punished through eternity. It's important to realise that grace didn't replace law, but it just interrupted it. Law has another seven years to run, called Daniel's 70th week, which fills the time between the rapture and the second coming. And during this time, all the nations to which Israel has been scattered will be completely destroyed and Israel will be disciplined in preparation for the reception of their king, the Lord Jesus Christ. The last one, number seven, the kingdom. A thousand-year reign of Christ that begins with the second coming. Now, let's go to Revelation. and I'll, I'll, Revelation 20. And you're going to see why, and Pastor pointed this out to me a long time ago, and I was actually, I'm not shocked, I'm not shocked really anything now by the, what the Bible says and what, what occurs and happens. But more so, I don't understand how people can say, about, talk about the thousand years. Revelation 20. And I'll go from, and this is where I'll emphasize it. We'll go from the start. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid on him the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should be deceived the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed as little season. And I saw thrones that they sat upon, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, and neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You're in a very perilous place for calling God a liar. Scripture clearly shows a thousand years. So what's the purpose in all this plan? I think the overarching purpose of these seven dispensations is to demonstrate there are no conditions in which the natural man can behave in a manner acceptable to God, only by faith. Only the church is able to... So it's more so the fact that we, we've got to look, be able to look at this and say, hey, God has put these things in place to show us it's not so much a timepiece... I don't, I'm not one for setting times, but more so for the fact that he has left us, his word, examples, literal examples of what's going to take place. Nothing's new under the sun. 
But let's look in conclusion. Because I'll put in conclusion, God has laid out his plan by timing certain events, peoples and nations to bring to a close the church age in which we live right now and to usher in the rapture, the time of Jacob's trouble and his thousand year reign as king. There are key events to begin and end in a dramatic way, but the last two will, set the, will get the world's attention. That is the rapture and that seven years of tribulation. And as believers, we don't set times or dates, but from God's word, we can clearly see the description is about to happen and about to occur. And I was really, I'm not, I'm not ever really shocked by what God does, but God's like telling me to take notice when we're singing those hymns. Those hymns are about this. May God have blessed you with the words written clearly in his book, with the dispensation and with what is about to happen. And that is why we pray for loved ones who don't know the Lord. We pray for work colleagues. I'm not saying it's close, but we can see events throughout the world that God has clearly shown us that these things are going to happen. And it's going to be quite a shock. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May this sermon do you justice, Lord. And what you clearly set out as your story, history. We have seen from history your hand upon human history. But we also see the pinnacle of that human history came when Jesus Christ died on a cross at Calvary, was buried and resurrected for the sins of the world. Are we not all sinners that need redemption? We can go back to, the, to, to Genesis and see clearly that there was a broken relationship. There was a relationship which was broken by man's sin. And that you, Jesus Christ, came to make that right. There's no blood, there's no remission. We continually see throughout your word that your plan, your redemption, the bringing back of your people back into the land of Israel. We see in your scriptures, Lord, that you weep for Israel. And as Christians, are we not also to weep, to pray? Are we not also to pray for the lost? We know that people will stick their hand out and reject the very thing that you, Jesus Christ, came and did. But we pray, Lord, as we look forward to your return, that we be faithful, that we continue to do what's right. And that is to study, to show thyself approved, a workman that rightly divides the word of truth, that we continue to pray 
and live the life that you have given us, Lord. Not of our own righteousness, but of you, Jesus Christ. We see the seven dispensations clearly laid out in the scripture. We thank you for being able to see this clearly. That we can see the roadmap of the what's coming. To see that the turmoil started all the way back in Genesis with Abraham and Sarah. That we are to pray for our enemies. That we are to continue in how you'd have us deal with sinners, lost family, the nation of Israel, the world itself. We pray for our governments that they do right. We can see an agenda being pushed, which is the total rebellion against God and his word. But we know you, Jesus Christ, have the ultimate say. You have the ultimate way in which and how to deal with these things. We give thanks and glory and honour to you. In Jesus' name we pray.